This morning we continue our sermon series, Making Space for God, with a reading from a lesser-known book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, in which the writer talks about the importance of gathering together. Listen to these words from chapter 10, beginning at verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I have lost count as to how many Fred Craddock stories I've told you. The fact that some of you are smiling and chuckling means you know who he is or was, but some of you, it's just a name. So let me just give you the briefest background. He was a minister in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, this tradition, and he was a preacher, a very gifted preacher, who on two separate occasions was named among the 10 best preachers in the English language in the late 20th century and again in the early 21st century. And probably most people would say it was his stories, the stories that he told. And I'll tell you one here in a minute. But more than being a good preacher, he was a professor of preaching who revolutionized the practice, the craft. And for that, not only are preachers grateful, but you should be as well. So let me explain. Fred made many contributions, perhaps the biggest one, was leveling the playing field between preacher and congregation. They were on the same side, on the same plane. Even if the preacher came up some steps, we were on the same side. Do you get the gist of that? Have you ever sat through a harassing thing that disguised itself as a sermon? You know, where you were just beat up verbally? Fred was trying to fix that. He had this great line. He said, in that kind of style of harassing preaching, if the listeners were on the track team, they were javelin catchers. A javelin's a spear. So let that sink in for a moment. Well, don't let that sink in. <laughs> Fred said, no, no, no. We're, we're on the same side for real. We are together in this. No hierarchy. In the few verses that we read, just these few verses, two times we read the phrase, let us. Do you hear it? Let, let us. Not, here's what you, but let us. And two times, one another. We're in this together. That's plain enough in the English, but Fred Craddock wrote an entire commentary on the book of Hebrews in which he points out that in the Greek it's even more apparent, but Hebrews is a sermon. The entire thing is a sermon. About a page later, the preacher of Hebrews will call his sermon a word of exhortation. I don't know about you, but that makes me a bit nervous when I hear it's going to be an exhortation. Have you ever listened to an AM radio preacher? Those are exhortations that can just, you know, be in your face. Well, here's the thing. The word exhortation in the New Testament has varying degrees of confrontation. Paul, writing to the Galatians, he is in their face. That's an exhortation. But 
But in this case, it's a gentle word of encouragement. Let us. Here's the way I've been thinking about it. You know how NFL football coaches, they're encouragers or exhorters of their teams to varying degrees. You know the ones who look like an aneurysm about to happen? And then there's the ones, you know, who are encouragers. Think Tom Landry of old or even Andy Reid now. Gentle giants, but they're on your side. And it's a good thing this preacher is on our side because the topic is church attendance. Gulp. (laughs) I've always thought that preaching on church attendance made no sense whatsoever because the people that are in the room are here. And not only that, but the person saying this is paid to be here. But something else is going on here. It's not really just church attendance. It's another A word, apostasy. Do you know that word? It it means to fall away, to walk away, to give up on the faith. The preacher's congregation had decided they were done. They were, both words, sick and tired of living in the unjust Roman Empire. They couldn't take it anymore. You were either Jeff Bezos or a pauper. I mean, seriously, there was this 2%, maybe 3% at the top, very wealthy. And then no such thing as a middle class or a low, no, it was just you eked out a living and all of them being taxed and trying to support the elite. And they were done. It didn't make any difference to be a part of this Christian movement. They couldn't take it. I've told you before that all throughout the Mediterranean world in the time of Jesus, there were these clubs, groups, associations, whatever you want to call it, but pretty much everybody was a part of one. You would have been a part of one. And they were either by profession or socioeconomic status, And you went in the evening and you attended these things very regularly. And these groups, these clubs all throughout the empire, they were very insistent upon faithful attendance. And when I say insistent, they levied fines for missing. I'm not proposing that, by the way. (laughs) But they levied fines. I mean, it was partly because people, when they were there, gave a donation which helped to buy the bread and the wine. And then there was the fact that if a group didn't have good attendance, others would look on it and say, oh, that group's kind of falling apart, and that brought shame on the group. And so they levied fines. Now, the Christian groups were just like every other group in the Roman Empire, except on a couple of points. And one of those was attendance. There is no record of the Christian groups levying fines. Instead, they encouraged people to be there because of the benefits. And that's what's going on here. It wasn't just that some had fallen away from the faith. There was this other A word, akadia. It's a Greek word. It got included in the seven deadly sins, translated as, are you ready for this? Sloth. You know that slow-moving animal? Sloth. Fred Craddock said that's not a good translation. It, It just sounds like laziness or 
staying too long in the bathtub at night. He said, literally, it means I don't care. I don't care. I give up. I'm tired of this. It's not making a difference. I'm done. But here's the thing. The preacher's point is even clearer. It's not just, you need to come, you need to come. It's what happens when you do. He calls it provoking one another to love and good deeds. The word provoke, you could translate pester. We don't gather on Sunday so the sermon pesters you. We gather and we will pester, kind of keep each other accountable, keep reminding ourselves that what we do matters. It really does. What happens here, but also what happens out there. Every time a student is tutored at Hartman Elementary, it changes the world. That student's world. Every time we hand a meal off at Micah, it changes the world. Every time the refugees are welcomed at Della Lamb, it changes the world. Don't give up. That's the preacher's sermon. I read two weeks ago in the New York Times a guest piece, not, not by one of the staff writers, a guest editorial piece, young woman, Jewish woman, well, sort of Jew-ish, because it was called, the, the title of her piece was called I left the faith, God didn't flinch. Well, I couldn't resist reading something called that. So I opened it up, and I'm reading it. Well, she grew up Orthodox Jew, kept all the commandments, kept Sabbath, etc. And then in college, one Saturday, she's lying on her bed in her dorm room, and she took the light switch and flicked it off and on. If you don't know, for Orthodox Jews, that's violating the Sabbath. That's called working on the Sabbath. And so she did that, nothing happened. God didn't flinch. So then she quit eating kosher. God didn't flinch. She quit going to synagogue, nothing. She gave up on the holy days, and eventually she walked away from the Jewish faith. And God never flinched. I, I must have read this piece two, maybe three times. I just kept reading it and thinking about that image of God not flinching. Well, if God flinched, how would you know anyway, right? But then I thought, what if God does flinch sometimes? You know, just wince a little bit, like the good coach on the sidelines. Ooh, what if God flinches? Not when we miss a Sunday, yeah, we were down at the lake. No, what if God flinches, though, when we give up on Sundays? When we give up on the church, when we give up on the faith, when we give up on making a difference in the world? What if God winces and flinches? This preacher in Hebrews, like all preachers, likes illustrations, stories, images. So his entire, what we call the 11th chapter, is an illustration. It's a track, track and field, ancient games, right? They have a stadium, we're the runners, all of us. We're on the track. This is not a 5K, not a 10K, it's not a marathon. It is life, it is running the race. And the stands are filled, and the whole chapter takes this up, with the names of the saints who've gone before. It's got Abraham and Noah, it's got the men and the women of the faith all down through the ages. And what they are doing is encouraging us. And I don't think it stops with them. I think the people that were here 100 years ago, they're in the stands. 
the saints that we've known. And they're looking down and they're saying, hang in there because we've been through it too. And you can do this. You can make it. They're cheering us on. Don't give up. Fred Craddock used to tell the story about a Sunday when he was not preaching. He got to go to worship with his family at his home church, but he had a meeting after church, so they took separate cars. As soon as the service was over, he cut through the back. He was going through the choir room when a woman in the choir was taking her robe off, and he said in passing, I loved the choral anthem today which you could all say today. It was gorgeous, right? And she said, well, I hope so, because that's it. And he's, what, what? And she said, I'm quitting. And he thought, well, you know, she's been in the choir 103, 104 years, something like that. It's time. And she said, no, I'm quitting church. And he said, well, you're not quitting church. And she said, I'm quitting. And they went back and forth. Well, he had to go. So he said, I, I, I want to come by and see you. And they arranged a time. And he said, what's going on? She said, I'm quitting church. And he said, why? And she said, I was sitting up in that choir loft, and there was the clergy and the organ and the choir director and the people out there, and I just thought, nobody cares. Nobody cares anymore. And he said, you're wrong. You're wrong. She, he said, I, I go all over the place preaching, teaching, lecturing, and there's still people out there who care. And she said, really? And he said, yes, really. And then she said, name some. <laughs> and Fred, who used to tell this story, he said, she wants names. M may, I, may I give her yours? And then the preacher sat down. <laughs> 